Hey everybody, welcome to the PC Perspective Podcast. This is episode 450 being recorded on, I, I don't know the answer to this, May 17th. 17th? All right, 2017, I'm Ryan Trout. I'm Josh Walrath. I'm Jeremy Holstrom. And I'm Alan Malmontano. I want to apologize for a few things. One, video quality. Two, audio quality of me in particular. Everybody else seems to be doing just fine. It looks fantastic. You guys are doing just fantastic. Um, and three, Josh Walrath. <laughs> oh, just the general content. Uh, also, if you're not a fan of like AMD news, it's going to be a very bad show for you uh, because it's pretty much all we have to talk about. Actually, there's a lot of other stuff, too. But we may end up cutting a whole bunch at the end, depending on how much we talk about the AMD news that occurred this week. Um, but uh, rather than waste time and tell you about my week of being in Disney World and, and now at the beach trying to, to finish all stuff, I had, to be fair, I had not planned on being on tonight's show because I didn't realize how much stuff AMD was actually going to, to show and talk about at their uh, financial analyst day, which I thought was supposed to be about like finances and not uh, product launches. But I guess I've been corrected in that regard. So uh, let's go ahead and, and, and start talking about stuff. First of all, obviously, uh, uh, we do record the show live in this fantastic quality that you see here at PCPer.com slash live. Uh, and um, we do it normally at starting kind of trying to be at 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific. Tonight was a little later because I was late getting into uh, our hotel or whatever for, uh, for this trip. So I apologize for that. But if you need a reminder, normally we send out an email through pcpro.com slash subscribe, which you can see right here. We just ask your name and your email address. We send you notifications when we do live streams, uh, assuming that we know when they're going to start. Tonight we didn't really know when it was going to start, so we didn't send one out. So I apologize for that. But there you go. Uh, and also, of course, we have our Patreon campaign running. Now you'll probably hear some background noise from the air conditioning unit that decided to turn on behind me. Uh, the uh, patreon.com slash pcperf that's the URL for that that is your ability to become a monthly contributor to us if you if you like what we do if uh, you're running a, an ad blocker and you feel guilty about it because all those articles you're reading all the information you get from people like us those of us on the podcast and the other writers at, at the site uh, uh, this is your way you can build donate you know one dollar a month three five ten twenty whatever you want to do uh, we greatly appreciate everybody that, appreciate everybody that does that especially in recent weeks and months as it becomes painfully apparent that uh, uh, comet whores and poor poor people that, that, that have nothing better to do, that they just have no high self-esteem so they wanted to comment on everything all the time, are an, we're an increasing amount of page views. And also there's Josh there. Uh, yeah. It's, it's an interesting picture. So anyway, we, we greatly appreciate that. We highly encourage it, obviously. Um <laughs> And uh, if you uh, want to um, uh, subscribe during the show, I will see your email come across on my phone, and I will call out your name on the show as we go. So there you have that. So let's jump into the content. Um, we're, before we get into the actual AMD announcements that occurred this week, I want to talk to you about a story that I wrote up uh, and published just yesterday. Uh, that dives a little bit deeper into that kind of recurring problem that this the stickler issue that the Ryzen pro, uh, plat platform and processors have with 1080p gaming. 
Um, it's it's an important issue. It was something that was brought up to AMD before launch, during launch. You know, it comes up during their analyst calls, during their financial calls. So clearly, uh, despite what some commenters feel like that this is a non-issue, if AMD is addressing it during financial analyst calls, it's it's a big issue. Um, and so we did a little bit more digging into just trying to figure out why this occurs. Right. You know, Alan and me and Ken and others have done work already trying to figure out, like, what is some of the root cause of these different things? That graph you're looking at there is something we discovered through a ping tool that, like, does thread to thread communications. We found this huge discrepancy between CCX to CCX ping times versus on the same die ping times or on the same module ping times, uh, which kind of led us down the idea of. Uh, you know, memory latency on the Ryzen platform is very different than what exists on Intel platforms. And so what happened was, is, you know, somebody suggested to me, like, hey, you should profile these different applications and see what these workloads are actually diving into. Uh, and but actually, that's a good thing the graph is show right here. This, this is actually Sysoft Sandra uh, standard memory latency test. Um, we go into details about what the three different versions are, random, in-page, and sequential in the story. You should read that. But clearly, this shows, you know, at the full random, you're looking at something along the lines of 30, uh, I'm sorry, that's 56% slower or so. Uh, but on the in-page, you're looking at more like three, six times slower latency. So in this graph, lower is better until, say, 700K versus the Ryzen 7 1800X. Uh, and then we use another tool as well, the Intel Memory Latency Checker. This is kind of like a sanity check. It's kind of in the middle of those two results. So interesting uh, data point there. Josh, do you remember any particular architectural discrepancy like this as we went along over the last decade or more where the latency of one was so different than the other? Hold on. Oh, uh, Ryan, you just dropped to real media quality. Yeah. Yeah. Um, real bad. Turn off my video. Let's turn it off. Turn it all off. It, I will. I will do that. There we go. And now you get no video from me. You're look at a still shot of me on a beach. That's actually getting better pretty quickly now. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Go ahead, Josh. Um, you know, AMD has always had a problem with latency. I don't know if it's called a really a problem, but. In every measurable aspect from L1 to L2 caches to, to main memory, they've always been slower than Intel. And this goes back seemingly since forever. And I'm, I'm not entirely sure why. Uh, I mean, they, they tune it pretty well. And uh, you know, the only time they really ever beat Intel in that was the original Athlon 64 where they put the memory controller on the die, oh, yeah. and Intel was still working with uh, what the 775 platform that uh, featured, you know, the the memory controller on the North Bridge, and you had to go through the GTL Plus bus, and that added a, a ton of latency. But you know, in terms of, of caches and bandwidth to them, uh, Intel has always had a pretty good advantage, and. Um, and once the memory controller got moved to the CPU for Intel, they've just kind of ruled the roost, at least in that aspect. All right. Um, so one of the tools that, that we had access to is called VTune. Now, this is an application made by Intel, and obviously this is going to create a stir. All VTune does is it profiles the application's 
uh, on the system, right? So you basically, you run an application in the background, you play your game or whatever other benchmark or application you want to run, and then when you, you put it on a timer or you can manually stop it, and when it's done, it gathers all this data, and it tells you what the workload was trying to do, where it was bottlenecked, where it was limited. It's a very powerful application that is usually used by developers as they build their applications to kind of find weak spots. Where can we tweak performance and, and kind of profile it and, and, and improve things as much as possible? So um, now what's interesting about that is in order to do that, the, the V2 utility, has to, it's very architecture specific. So you can't really run V2 on an AMD Ryzen processor and get anything that makes any sense. Uh, but we could run it on Intel platform. So what we were able to do is basically you know, go through uh, a bunch of games and then a bunch of non-games that are typical of what we see in our review and other people's reviews and, and see where the profiles look. And if you, and if you scroll down yeah, to that graph there, um, you'll see... What this percentage that I'm looking at is part of the what is called uh, uh, dependencies, like uh, memory latency dependencies. So this essentially shows you what percentage of the clock cycles that occurred in your testing time was the was a thread waiting on a return memory access, right? It was waiting on it was waiting on latency for the for the memory read to come back or write, I guess, to come to go away. Um, and what you see is at the top, you see Ashes, uh, Civ 6 is a little bit an outlier, but Deus Ex, Primal, all these games are in the 20s, almost up to 30% uh, uh, of memory latency dependency, with the exception of Civ 6, which is a unique case. But then if you look at the other applications, Audacity, BMW, Cinebench, or I'm sorry, the Blender test with BMW, Cinebench, Handbrake, these are all in the teens or lower. Audacity is significantly lower. And then you have this one really big outlier in RENRAR uh, that is unique in its kind of uh, uh, architectural, um, I guess, back software development side in terms of how the library files and that type of stuff work. But it's pretty clear by looking at this that, in general, games are more latency-dependent than non-games, at least in these sets of applications that we have here, right? So um, what, what I... Knowing that and kind of knowing what we have seen with Ryzen 1080p gaming performance before, we basically went through and did some tests. So what I did is, uh, on the next page, you'll see I kind of artificially increased the latency and timings of the Intel Core i7-7700K to, uh, you know, from CAS2 uh, uh, to CAS3, increase some of the other timings while keeping the memory frequency the same. And just to show, okay, we're only changing the timings, but we did get an increase in our memory latency, uh, upwards of 13.8% slower in in-page, sequential 7.5, and uh, I'm sorry, 13.8% in full random, 15% in in-page results. And so then what we did was we reran all the same tests, gaming uh, and non-gaming tests, and wanted to see what scaling there was, right? And what we saw was, you know, if you look at Ashes, Civ 6, Far Cry, uh, Hitman, even Grand Theft Auto V, we're talking about six up to fifteen percent difference where the where it's running slower on the higher latency memory settings on the Intel platform. But then if you look at the general applications, you're looking at one, two, three percent uh, at most, and then you have that outlier WinRAR, which again showed the higher latency dependency in the VTune results, and then we saw a thirteen percent difference there. So again, this kind of like backs up the fact that, okay, games are actually more memory latency dependent than I thought, that I had ever really thought about, um, and general applications are not. 
So when you look at uh, the gaming results that we've seen on AMD Ryzen processors, it kind of makes sense. Its, its memory latency is slower, and thus its gaming performance is slower. Now, it's important to point out that it's not always slower, because when you get to higher resolution, 25 by 16, 4K, the CPU is now has uh, uh, more time between its frames to wait for that memory latency. So even though those cycles still exist, where the latency, uh, it's still waiting on, on memory access, memory, memory uh, reads, it's able to kind of, quote-unquote, hide it because it's, it's just spinning its wheels waiting for the GPU to finish the extra workload it has now. So as you increase the resolution, you take the bottleneck away from the CPU, which we've always really known, but this gives you a way to kind of visualize it with a more specific data point uh, in terms of memory latency. Um, so it, you know, it, it produced interesting, interesting results, right? And it wasn't um, uh, anything that to, to to be more critical of AMD or the product or anything like that. It was more of an investigative, like, why is this stuff happening? If actually, if you go down to the and you go down to the very last graph, it's worth pointing out um, the uh, uh, the one that has it's Sysoft Sandra memory latency again. It'll down a little bit further, Alan, um, where we have yeah that one there. So we show the Ryzen 1800X DDR4 with uh, the fast timings all the way. All, it was worth pointing out the Ryzen processor had faster timings in this kind of little experiment than the Intel processor did. As we increase memory frequency while keeping timings you know, about the same, actually the timings go up a little bit, the overall memory latency goes down. This again explains why Ryzen 7's gaming performance and Ryzen 5's gaming performance is better. It shows improvement at 1080p as you increase the memory speed, because you are inherently lowering latency, right? Now, and that's also why it doesn't make up everything when you do it, because you can see that the, the memory latency does go down across the board, but it's not getting down to the Intel levels uh, that we see on the 7700K. So uh, a lot of detail in that write-up. I encourage you guys to go look it up. Again, it's more of a uh, educational piece, kind of an interesting... Um, yes, there I am on the beach discussing with this everybody, like... Uh, uh, Let's explore why this thing is, is happening. Like they're not AMD's not going to be able to fix this through an architectural update in this generation. Uh, but you can see why AMD pushes for faster memory speeds, um, and it'll be curious to see how this maybe translates over to um, uh, the server side, where memory latency may be important for some workloads as well. And they need to get you know usually when we think of servers on the Intel side, you know they're running at like the slowest DDR4 memory speeds, right? Like, you're not really seeing people push up into really high-frequency DDR4 memory. That's not usually something you think of you have to do. But with the Ryzen platform or with the Zen architecture on Epic, as it's now called, you may actually see that be uh, more of a concern, or not more of a concern, but more of a, a, a drive for AMD to really, to really improve that. A long opening discussion. Any comments from uh, the gallery of people who have video that works? <laughs> It's a nice uh, point of interesting. Well, point of interest. It's it's a good set of data to see exactly where the um, kind of the, the the bottlenecks in 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 terms of latency come. I mean, <clears throat> it makes sense that games are more sensitive to it because it's a real time simulation where scripted things happen, and it's going to have different workloads depending on what's showing up on the screen at different times. And the CPU just can't, it can't 
do any kind of prefetching for that. It just is is an instruction. Here's a script. This action happens. Um, the person moves the the viewpoint to another area. Clicks some buttons. Again, these are these are things a CPU can't can't kind of prefetch and look forward to as in other applications. So you know, I think games are are still a really interesting application to use across you know kind of the board in terms of CPU performance because they're just so random. They're workloads that. You can do some uh, uh, work on to to make things or certain aspects of it run better, but it's all just so random because of inputs, scripting, and uh, actions that happen on screen. And so this is kind of fascinating to to see, um, you know, actual numbers and 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 data of this type come out that we can kind of judge these applications going forward with new and future CPU generations. Well said, sir. Uh, hmm. All right, let's jump into some some more of the AMD news. They had their financial analyst day this week. I guess yesterday, day before. I don't remember now. It's it's all blurred. Uh, where they announced several interesting things. We'll start with Epic, um, which is the brand that the Zen architecture will have for enterprise parts. And, and again, and I. I, I Everybody on this call, please correct me when I say something that is wrong because I did not listen to the to the stream, um, and I'm depending on you guys and, and the and the posts uh, that went up and my my knowledge of this. So this the Naples architecture that we've been talking about for a long time. AMD has been bragging about Naples it being the the, the their their reattempt to get into the enterprise market where they have like 0.5 percent market share and there's nothing but growth and it's high margin and all that type of stuff. Um, the brand they picked is Epic. E-P-Y-C. Uh, epic. That's I don't know what else to say about that. Uh, Alan, you're on one story too far ahead. Or one, yeah. Oh, I am? Too far up there. Yeah, that's yeah, a comparison story. That's the benchmark one. But, um, so this this is, ser- these are server processors up to 32 cores, 64 threads, 8-channel DDR4 memory, 128 PCI Express lanes per CPU. This is not really new information for... Uh, for that, um, two socket support, 32 TIMs of DDR4 on 16 channels of memory in a two socket system. Uh, it is a complete SOC with fully integrated high speed IO. Um, it will use, when you do a two socket, it's using 64 lanes of each CPU for its Infinity Fabric communication between the two processors. Uh, and then you get 64 lanes per to uh, actual connect to external devices. So, um, Look at that and you picture. can fit two Holy heat sinks moly. on it. Look, look at that. Either it looks like an SSD. Is a very... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like a two and a half inch CPU. Yeah. I mean, that's insane. Uh, wow. Okay, and it, I don't know if I had a picture of it in any of our stories, but I've seen some pictures of uh, the part deleted where there's actually four individual die on it. Um, I would like to see the physical specifications of this of this part. So, uh, yeah, AMD Epic, 32-core, 64-threads. Uh, let's see. They haven't announced the L3 cache size, apparently, but half a meg per core. You're talking about 16 megs of L2 cache, not 16 megs of L3, 16 megs of L2 cache. Uh, 1.4 gigahertz base clock and... T- Turbos of up to 2.8 gigahertz. So a little bit lower on the clock speeds. We kind of expected that. 
uh, with the core quantity in this. I, I will open this up for commentary or discussion. On oh, actually, I guess let's talk about the second, the next epic story as well before we do that. But the uh, uh, they didn't really they didn't talk a whole lot about this. But Pat Moorhead posted on on Twitter a uh, couple of brief but interesting benchmarks that uh, AMD displayed where they were pitting uh, their 32 cores against two... Um, wait, what is this? Okay, so they were actually comparing it against four, a two-socket system versus a one-socket system. Okay. Uh, and that's that's pretty impressive. So they're comparing a one-socket 32-core part against 24 cores and a two-socket system from Intel with the uh, Xeon... E52650V4 showed some benchmarks. Showed you know PCI Express connectivity um, looks pretty impressive. So you know about 9.5% faster on its single socket than Intel's dual socket. Now I'm not going to get into a whole bunch of this because I don't honestly have the the breadth of knowledge on the Xeon product line to know you know are there other processors in this price range that that makes sense. But I'm guessing that they are. Um, Comparing them specifically to that 2650v4 because of its MSRP of 1170. So now I will open up the floor and say, give me your commentary on what AMD has done, either with the name or with the actual product of Epic. Well, they snuck, they snuck the Y in there, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know what to say about the name, honestly. I mean, it's fine. I'm sure Opteron sounded really weird when it was sounded like crap. It's just that it's just that it's like the name is a bit too ambitious. So like if this thing under delivers at all, then the jokes are just going to be that it's not that True. epic. Like it just opens them up for the possibility. <laughs> not yeah. so epic. Yeah. You know, I mean, it just, it, you know, it's like when you name your kid the wrong name and they just people just got jokes. Right. <laughs> I, I it also just feels very like. That would have been a cool name for uh, the high-end desktop part, right, yeah. for, for consumers. But, yeah. Like the high-end Ryzen part could have been called Epic. It's yeah. more of a gamer-aggressive uh, type brand to me than yeah. a uh, mission-critical server platform. Yeah, right? but Xeon doesn't really want to walk great either. Yeah. But people are no, used to that's it. That's true. Because I don't want to walk up to my CFO and say, look, we've, we should really upgrade. There's a really good price for performance argument about getting <laughs> epic processors. And the eyes will glaze over and I'll be asked to leave. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Naples, I can maybe. See that. But yeah, it's like epic. Yeah. Okay, it, sure, Naples dudes. Naples was fine. Like Naples would have yeah, been a Naples great product works. name. Yeah. I, I, from a, from a um, product perspective, I will say that I don't think how I don't see any way AMD fails with this, right? Even if they are only even say they take five percent market share, they've quintupled what they had before, right? So if they're able to take more than that, ten percent over the course of the next couple of years, this is a huge win for them uh, with an architecture that is truly like built for it. So this this is this is going to be a win. I, I I don't see a I don't see a way AMD doesn't succeed. With this product line in this space, um, especially if you start looking at how some of the, you know, even if even AMD themselves up to you know three years ago, 
few or three years ago, there everybody was talking about ARM-based servers and how the um, small micro cores, a whole bunch of small micro cores were going to do this and that, and AMD had their K12 and it was going to do this. That is kind of subsided. I mean, it's not gone away completely, but it is not like the rage right now. It's not what people in the enterprise field are really discussing or excited about. And instead, it seems to be more back to more cores, more performance per, still better performance per watt, but more cores, uh, and then use virtualization technology to really take advantage of it. And I think AMD is 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 poised exceedingly well to to do that with uh, with Epic. I guess I have you to know the most interesting loud, thing so. about Epic is oh. it's Infinity Fabric all the way through. Mm-hmm. It's it's each chip. Meaning what? Each individual chip is connected to the other through Infinity Fabric, just right. like the CCXs are. And so it's not <clears throat> like they go interchip communication through hypertransport and then interchip communication. It's all the same protocol, seems like. I don't know have all the, the exact information, but it's all just Infinity Fabric all the way through. So does that mean... Theoretically, even though the CCX and CCX gives you more penalty than what we're used to, overall it might give you less penalty compared to like a multi-core big Xeon CPU. Especially on a dual yeah. SOP uh, right. motherboard. Yeah, a QPI in that's not, it's good, but it's not that good. Yeah. It's outdated. Yeah. yeah. And, it, and there is a noticeable question, hit, right? right? Like on, on to, to jump over QPI, there's a noticeable performance hit. So... I would assume that the, I guess I don't know this, the, the inter-die fabric on the same processor is going to be faster than the Infinity fabric between sockets that is using 64 lanes of PCI Express. It's not using PCIe um, protocol, but it's using those lanes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Am I wrong, Josh, in that assumption that it would it would it fundamentally it would have to be slower? Probably, and even though you have we four don't different know. eyes on the same silicon or on the same silicon, but on the same. Yeah, I mean, it would, it would make sense that <clears throat> inner silicon, you know, going through a substrate is going to be slower. They have to clock it down from yeah. you know, whatever it is going to be twelve hundred. But you know, Infinity Fabric doesn't run all that fast and. Doing 1200 megahertz across, you know, a substrate that is well designed is is certainly feasible. So I I couldn't tell you without AMD doing a deep dive in this with us. Yeah, hopefully soon. It's it's, it's, it's again it's it's 1200 megahertz and that's not not that much anymore. Yep. Yep. I hey hey when we get our hands on some server parts. We can run that same. <laughs> we can run that same application and make an all new graph. Um, <laughs> all right, let's let's talk about uh, th- so AMD Threadripper, AMD Ryzen Threadripper, which is also a real brand uh, that AMD is is sticking with. Um, this one I have known about for a little bit, and I as like I thought it was the code name, and then as we got closer, like oh no, we're going to use that, and I was like, no, you're not really. They're like, come on, you're not really going to use Threadripper. You guys are kidding, right? Um, <laughs> but but they did. It's the Ryzen Threadripper. This is their answer to um, the the HEDT platform from Intel. So Broadwell E, Skylake X coming up, all that type of stuff. Um, 
where this is basically the server part brought down to consumers um, and able to, uh, uh, you know, just, I mean, it's going to, it's going to kick some ass in some pretty impressive places. This is up to 16 cores, 32 threads, um, Ryzen Threadripper coming summer 2017. I don't think they gave any more specifics uh, that, but there have been some leaks out from WCCF tech and stuff. Um, they, I guess AMD didn't actually officially um, talk about much on this, right? Did they talk about memory channels or anything like that? Or is this all coming from the WCCF story? It's all, that's, that source is uh, WCCF. Yeah, quad image. channel DDR4, but we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, these, if these numbers are right, these clock speeds are impressive up to 3.9 gigahertz with a 16 core part, uh, 3.5 mm-hmm. to 3.9. The TDP is 4.0 pretty high, 155. I love the idea of a 4,094 pin package. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of pins. Oh, could, they're still going to use oh. pins for this, huh? They're not going to shift over to the. No, I think. I think they're using LGAs. This, oh, okay. this would be LGA. Okay. Yeah, that, yeah, that yeah. picture. Sh- well, so the, the Epic part she was holding up was clearly an LGA package. And they've been using LGA on Opterons for a while uh, as well. So I'd assume they would do that here. I mean, think of a standard ATX motherboard with a socket for that <laughs> on it. And then where do you put the cards? I mean, can, you put, can you put eight DIMM slots on that? I don't know if you can. In an right. ATX, like it's not going to come channel. in the micro ATX form factor because half of it would be the chip. <laughs> it would, I can't it would wait. Yeah, yeah, it would be chip. Red Ripper Mini ITX. It'd, it'd be the chip and uh, four and eight sticks of RAM, and that's it. Like, <laughs> yep. there is no PCI slot. You don't need graphics cards. No, no. Um, so, I mean, it, you know, what's interesting about this is that this the Thread Ripper doesn't. Uh, address any single any single threaded performance issues, right? It's still the exact same architecture. This is simply like death by a thousand threads of uh, anything that's threaded. This is going to wipe the floor with current options, right? Broadwell E is is going to be destroyed with its ten cores versus the sixteen cores on this. Um, you know, there's a lot of rumors. We'll talk about one with Intel flying around about what they're going to do for the the revamp of this. Um, but Threadripper is a real thing. Um, we don't have any performance issues and, uh, or, or like claims. And we also don't have any, um, prices or anything. Guys discuss this for a second. I have to go open a door. Hang on. Who's going to buy Threadripper? Mm. Now, no, I actually have a question. But I don't sew anymore. <laughs> so, so Threadripper is on a 4,096 pin package. And He's oh, Epic is. Red Ripper is going to be 19-something. So it isn't on the same socket? I don't think so. Probably not. It's the X299, ain't it? I guess. Well, maybe. So, but they're also rumored to be released in the massive 4094 pin package, same as Naples. Yeah. A.K.A. Yeah, Epic. Huh. Yeah. I always thought it was going to be... Hell I now, then. I'm back. That's a lot of. Th- He's back. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 didn't they say it was it was a pin compatible package? But there wasn't anything out if it was actually going to be compatible between the two chips. How well, much is pin compatible for Sebastian? 
How much are those boards going to be with the 4090 oh, whatever pin array? Uh, you know, LGA. Imagine the RMA rates. Yeah, yeah, it's not. I've been, I've been, I think one pin on the board. I've got to think that uh, the uh, the Ripper and the initial Naples is going to be in the 2000 to 2500 pin, you know, using LGA uh, area because I don't know that epic that that that's just a huge jump up. I agree. I don't know. I agree. Nobody tells me anything. I'm ex- I'm excited to test si- it out. Like I, I, I think I think it's going to be. I don't know. I. It, it's going to be interesting because this is going to be out. I, I was well. I guess I don't know. I don't know who's going to be out first. Right? Intel could release their Skylake X parts before this comes out or after, and it'll be. Oh, well, they bumped it up, but it's still June. Goes. Hmm. Uh, they bumped it up. It was uh, Digitimes today. Da, 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 as I scroll down to find out, uh, Basin Falls they've they're bumping up to late June or early August. This that's going to be super interesting. I cannot wait to yeah. see like Intel's first response since Ryzen's come out, and now that AMD kind of jumped the gun and showed off Threadripper uh, before Skylake X as well should be should be pretty okay. interesting. Uh, I'm right, right, I got them backwards again. AMD is the X399. Intel is the X299. Yep. Because that's really easy to tell apart. Thanks, guys. This is great. Yeah. Good job, everybody. Now they're just going to keep leapfrogging each other on that first digit. 499 is going to come from Intel next. Yep. All right, let's talk about the the uh, AMD announcement. Third AMD announcement was the Rayon Vega Frontier Edition. Uh, which is, I assume, made from log cabins. Uh, maybe they do some. Um, some oh, it's the final frontier. Yeah. Oh, it doesn't say that. It only says frontier edition. I think Davy Crockett. I think uh, you know Forty ers I think Sifton for gold. Those types of things. That's not what this is. Lewis Clark. No. Going into the great unknown. So- <laughs> So Raja Raja announces uh, Vega that's a saucy Frontier pose edition. that Raja has there. Yeah, he's styling there. It is. That is saucy. <laughs> it, does look, it does look like he's voguing a little bit, does it not? Yeah. Um, so this is the quote: "World's most powerful solution for machine learning and advanced visualization, aimed to empower the next generation of data scientists and visualization professionals." Uh, so this is not a gaming product, um, but I will say, based on those pictures, it looks kind of awesome. I, I am a fan of the ID in this. It looks like a water cooled and an air cooled variant. Um, did we learn much about what the specifications are of this? Sixty four compute units. What's that put us in uh, shader processors? Sixty four times what? One twenty eight. One there's I think. Uh, regardless, single precision compute, which is kind of important, is around thirteen teraflops. Half precision. Uh, you know, about double that as we would expect. Pixel fill rate, 90 gigapixels per second. 16 gigs of high bandwidth cache, otherwise known as HBM2, uh, taking advantage of the high bandwidth cache controller that AMD has. They can address more memory than that. Uh, 480 gigabytes per second of memory, which I believe is the exact same memory bandwidth that uh, Fiji has. 
I have to double check this. Um, but the, the specifications are interesting in this because 13 teraflops is high, but it's not um, as high as I expected, I guess. Like if you take a look at the Titan X uh, Pascal, for example, it is rated at uh, over at, actually at 11 teraflops. Um, and it has 480 gigabytes per second of memory bandwidth on its GDDR5X memory. Uh, and actually, yeah, R9, the R9 Fury X actually has 512 gigabytes per second. So the memory bandwidth is actually lower on these parts than on the Fury X. So curious on what you guys think. Is, is do, you, do we assume this is the lower clocked version of Vega? for you know uh enterprise or not enterprise but like high-end compute it's kind of hard for me to figure that'd be the case and considering there's a water-cooled variant in the screenshot right yeah I do a like quick the, question I do like the glowy r's those are pretty yeah, cool that's nice. mm-hmm. quick question uh refresh my memory hbm2 can have a max of 32 gigs in its current configuration so it seems to me that they're using two stacks mm. instead of potentially four. And that's why we're seeing half the theoretical bandwidth of HBM two. Yes. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I think I think that sounds right. I think that sounds right. Yeah, and all the all that would, the that would give more room on the interposer. That would give more room on an interposer for a larger GPU die. Uh, AMD likes large dies right now. And, and Everybody the, does. Yeah. Large everything. The uh, the pictures we've seen of them holding are definitely two stacks of uh, memory. So yeah, we're probably looking at that's a good point. Two eight two eight gig stacks of HVM two, um, two hundred forty gigs per second per stack. So in theory, you can get up to nine hundred sixty gigabytes per second, which is I believe just about what the um, Nvidia Tesla V one hundred. I think it was rated nine hundred yeah. gigabytes per second. Yeah. So it's and it's got four stacks. So that's true. That's that's probably what we're looking at here as to why. Now, the interesting thing is, I mean, it's still lower than the Fury X. They're basically saying that we didn't need that much memory bandwidth with the Fury X. They can you know, basically prove that's the case through all their modeling and now that they've had all these workloads in place uh, for that long with that hardware. Um, so, you know. Regardless, specs don't matter. It's it's how they're how they're utilized. Specs like memory bandwidth. The thirteen teraflops is interesting because it's it puts it higher than the Titan X Pascal, but isn't the Titan XP like the actual one that was called the Titan XP? Uh, like already wasn't it higher than that as well? It was rated at twelve teraflops apparently. So twelve teraflops. This one is is uh. uh 13, yeah, that, I think that puts AMD in the spot they need to be. And I do like the R-cubes in the corner. I've, I've, I, had, I had some emails from people complaining about it, that it looked a little bit like Ikea furniture um, in that picture. But I actually, I actually am a fan of, of the design and style in that. So hopefully that, trans, that transfers over to the uh, consumer space as well. Any more thoughts on uh, Vega... Um, David Crockett edition before we <laughs> move on. I know v- it's, Vogue edition. Late, so 
I would say something about, uh, you know, a, a specific type of hat that was popular during the time, but could be non-PC. I already did in the chat. Okay. Consider it covered. Right. Thank you so much for leaving it in text form only, and not audio. Mm-hmm. Um, Jeremy, tell me about these uh, the rumored Core i nine uh, Skylake X, Cabby Lake X. Is this is does this look like it's have enough to compete against the potential of a Threadripper? Well, I mean, for one thing, they've ensured that naming schemes are not going to be confusing enough by adding an i9 to the family and mixing it up because essentially Skylake X will be the i9s. Cabulake X will be the i7s, so you'll still have them going at the same time. Uh, core counts are interesting. Uh, they're going to be big, but this leak didn't really specify exactly how many you can expect to see. However, with the boost clocks, pretty much across the board, you're seeing stuff that's running faster than uh, AMD's Threadripper. The L3K, uh, we know the size of uh, at 16.5 meg for the largest one, the uh, 7920X, but we don't know the other caches. PCI lanes line up 44, which is decent. Uh, all the TBTP, yeah, TDPs sit a little bit below the equivalent uh, from Threadripper. So it's it's an interesting mix, especially considering, you know, how accurate is this? When when you're seeing people saying, okay, the 7920X is going to have uh, 12 cores, 24 threads, you, you don't actually see that written down very often. So it's it's likely. It's not quite up to the uh, size of Threadripper, but uh, it will be interesting to see. And as I said uh, a little bit earlier, I alluded to, these have been bumped up. So as opposed to seeing them at the beginning of next year, which was expected because AMD is really pushing forward on this quite nicely. We're probably going to see these, excuse me, uh, towards the middle of the summer. So we're going to know sooner than we thought. And it's going to get even more confusing between the I9s, the I7s, the I5s and the I3s, which might not even be of the same generation and may or may not be an X or a K because let's toss more letters into there just to make it fun. Yeah, so if, the like architecture, if the Cabby Lake yeah. X architecture is a 7740 K, yeah, yeah. But the Skylake, the Skylake X, or the tri- the double X. Yeah, but what about that seventy seven forty K? Because uh, isn't that overclocked and won't it be throttling more? Does Intel <laughs> do an internal memo? Please don't actually clock these this high. I mean, if if these specs are true, though, the seventy seven forty K becomes the new highest clock speed part. I think. Yep. Um. Still got the same PCIe lanes, a little bit higher TDP. Uh, I mean, this basically just makes this, it would make the 7740K like the best gaming processor, but it doesn't really change the story that exists today. Um, and but it does raise the price of, of that platform because now you have to buy into the X299 chipset as opposed to just, uh, you know, Z270 or Z170. Um, but then, you know, the 7920X, 7900X, those are 10-core parts, 12-core parts. You know, are they going to stay at the 10-core? 
And then obviously the most important thing will be the pricing, right? Are they still going to try to charge $1,700 for their top-end part when you well, know damn well because AMD is not going to do that? No, but uh, Intel has always led their flagship i7 at a grand. Well, 999 So what do you do with the 99 Do you now lower the i7s to in between where the i5s and the i7s sit now? Or do you push the i9s up past 1000 in the Xeon pricing? No. Well, I mean, the, the ten, keep in mind the 10-core Broadwell E was $1,700. True. Uh, and the 8-core was supposed to be 1000 bucks. So they've already, they've already crossed that threshold. Um, I, I don't think the Core i7 7740K changes much. You know, you maybe make that 400 bucks instead of 340 for the 7700. Uh, I don't know. It really just depends on how aggressive Intel wants to be. Right? How much? How much are they willing to sacrifice a little margin to one up AMD as AMD is kind of uh, spreading its wings on its on its revamped architecture? I don't know if they can afford that though. You know, Intel is is pretty strapped for cash. They might not be able to get into a price war. True. Yeah. True. It's very true. It'll be tough. Yeah. yeah. I hope they don't make Um, that move. But then again, I like to see cheaper CPUs. So. In in the uh, interest of time, I'm going to run through some of these items pretty these other items pretty quickly. So if you guys anybody has anything in particular they want to focus on, please let me know. Like I see uh, Alan in here, you had the WD ten terabytes, but let's. Um, That's just a news announcement. Okay, uh, Scott published uh, two stories that are related. Chronos Group published finalized OpenCL two dot two specifications. Um, which OpenCL, very important for uh, compute. What's maybe more interesting out of this is that if you look at the roadmap from Kronos, they're actually merging OpenCL and Vulkan into a single uh, API. The quote from the uh, press release was, we're also working to converge with and leverage the Kronos Vulkan API, merging advanced graphics and compute into a single, into a single API. Um, and uh, he was able to ask, get a little clarification. Uh, they've made the decision to converge its roadmap with Vulkan and use Vulkan as the basis for the next generation of explicit compute APIs. So it's interesting because this basically um, puts it on a similar footing as the DirectX system where everything, direct compute, direct 3D, all this stuff is kind of combined into DirectX. Uh, very easy for developers to count on one being there if the other is there, I guess. And then it also gives hardware vendors one specific target that they have to meet across the board. Uh, by combining Vulkan and OpenCL, it assures that compute and graphics capabilities will uh, move in tandem uh, for this API, uh, these sets of APIs, I guess. At this point, uh, Scott did a, a great write-up on this, on what, what OpenCL could give to Vulkan and, and what this kind of this kind of creates. Uh, and, it, and it's it creates it's synergy. It's a paradigm oh, sure. shift in programming technology. <laughs> it's epic. Sure. Uh, oh, wait, sorry. I, Wrong thing. Right. Yeah. 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 Right. Why is yeah, and, and Scott. It does point out that the Kronos Group has not provided a timeline for the change. It's a roadmap declaration um, that you know they're basically saying this is going to happen. It makes total sense, uh, and it does mean that that Vulcan will not just be a one-off 
uh, kind of funny named API. It will be here for uh, the foreseeable future, and it will be very different in the coming years than it looks than it looks today. Pretty pretty cool stuff. Uh, this is another story that I think is actually really cool that we're not going to have enough time to devote attention to. Tim wrote up. Tim's one of those lucky people that happen to be in a city that can get the uh, YouTube TV service already. Um, so I challenged him to uh, write up a story on his first impressions on the sign-in process, what channels worked for him. This is a really compelling option because, first of all, like YouTube reliability, you know, it's it's pretty good. It wasn't always great. We depend on it. it it's been pretty damn reliable in terms of live streaming. In terms of, you know, it's not very often that YouTube is down. But for 35 bucks a month, you get, uh, for him at least, I think he's in the Chicago market, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Uh, you get ABC, CBS, Fox, NBC, right? So right there, like the locals is a key for this type of stuff. Because if you look at DirecTV Now and those things, they only have locals and there's those very specific handful of markets as well. But then you get a great lineup of normal cable add-ons you know showtime they don't have hbo i guess as part of this it doesn't look like um you can always get that interview but 35 bucks a month is is pretty compelling again that's what i think direct tv now is going for it one of its medium packages or lower package um but you know based on tim's first impressions it, it seems pretty good did anybody else give this a read and, and kind of see what he thought and I know, Alan, this is something you had signed up for as well, hoping I'm, to get I'm a on shot. The, yeah, I'm on the notification thing, but it's not. We don't got it yet here, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, it, it looks good. I really like the yeah, idea it, of, you it, know, it, how many, like, I forget how many devices it spans across for that, for that subscription, but it's like, it's enough to where it was, it immediately looked like it was a good deal. I was like, oh, yeah, like, that basically covers, like, you know, the family. I think it was like six. Or something yeah, it was like something that. like it, it was. It wasn't just devices. It was how many of your YouTube accounts it would span across. Like so, it, I think that's how it worked. Oh. So yeah, so like basically, you you would you know your wife, your kids, if they had YouTube accounts, like you would add those to your thing. And for that same thirty five bucks a month, basically everybody that's in your house, like a reasonably sized family, uh, just has it. Like just has you know on whatever device wherever they're you know. It's up in their room. They just want to watch the TV. You know, they just fire that up. It's, it's already on their account. And they, and they just, you know, yeah. pick something to watch. I, I really, really like the idea of it. I just wish we had it. Yeah. 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 In typical Tim fashion, he has a TLDR uh, at the bottom of the story about what he loved, what issues he had, or what he wanted to see improved. Um, it, looks like, it looks like a really interesting direction. I, I, as with most Google services, I question their long-term dedication to it. Right? You know, yeah. it's they it, kind of dug that hole for themselves Google, with all the other projects that they've canned over the years. Or trenches in this case. Yeah, true. But they're Google's very willing to try anything, but they're also willing to like leave things behind, and that's not necessarily bad always. But uh, like, if you suddenly become dependent on them and and they change or do things differently. This seems uh, like it, it th- this seems like a large enough undertaking and a big enough thing to where people are going to be canceling their TV, you know, stuff, right? 
like they're going to be moving sure. they're in the area and google says hey we have this and people are like now they're doing stuff where they're actually shifting and doing large budget related changes to shift to this okay. so like they'd really like it would be a huge I, I, trench I would, that they would dig for themselves I, I, if I, they I, killed this one you know i understand however yeah as somebody who had transferred my number to google voice at one point Right. I will tell you that they are more than willing to take something incredibly important to you and totally screw it up and yeah. leave it to die and wither until you transfer your number back out. Um, That's true. So, but still, you know, again, there's lots of other services out here that you can just cancel this and try something new. So it, YouTube TV is what it's called. Check it out if you if it's available in your area. I think they give you like a two week trial or something like that as well. Uh, but I know it's not available for for. Alan or me, probably not in Wyoming and definitely not in Canada, would be my guess. Just a thought. I wouldn't mind if they, like, I don't necessarily even need the local channels. Like, I know that's the reason why it takes them longer to roll out. Like, they're, you know, they want you to have, like, your local news and whatever available as part of the lineup. But, heck, I'd like to just have, like, the main, you know, the main networks. Not even worry about yeah. them locally. Right. Well, I mean, ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox are considered the main networks, right? And that's your locals. Yeah. Um, but I think they try to I give you, they, they want to give you ads. People. You know, they want to give you the local feeds so that you're getting the ads or whatever that's in the feed, like the sure. commercials. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And that's more of a licensing and an agreement with uh, the, either the affiliates of the, of the global networks. Uh, Tim does point out in the chat that um, DirecTV now, the special is over, and the package that's similar to what YouTube TV is now is $65 a month. Um, and uh, they do have the DVR service. They don't have DVR, but they have 72-hour rollback, but it's pretty limited. So uh, in terms of value, YouTube TV is there. They allow six accounts, three simultaneous streams inside that $35 a month. And every account gets their own DVR. So that's actually pretty awesome yeah but you said it's 65 now not 35 no no the direct tv one that i compared it oh to, oh okay i thought was 35 is actually 65 now it's like initial launch promo is over yeah that's what that i always hated that about direct tv they always give you they always sell you on the promo and then the promo is over and then you gotta like call and threaten to cancel you know in order to get like uh, yes. another promo right and Oh, yes. You know, it's a perpetual, like, begging for a promo or I'm going to leave thing. This is very typical. Yeah. yeah. This is why I don't have DirecTV. Normal DirecTV, I guess, anymore. Uh, so go check out that story by Tim. Very good write-up on that. And I haven't really seen many people, pundits, kind of commenting on the YouTube TV stuff. So really good to see that there. Uh, also, really quickly, uh, Google Daydream Standalone VR headsets were announced today. Google I.O. They're using the Snapdragon 835 uh, mobile platform for that. Meaning that essentially this is a VR headset that is not tethered to a PC and also doesn't require you to slot in a cell phone. It is kind of a standalone unit. The advantages of which are you don't have to worry about if your phone's charged. It's a separate device. In theory, you can have better performance because there's better thermals uh, capable there. You can have a bigger battery so it'll last longer. But it still uses the same kind of uh, inside-out tracking methodologies. It still uses the same technology uh, that we've seen in some of these demo units. But with Google behind it, uh, it should get a much more uh, dramatic push, I think, out of the gate. And they, I think Google announced HTC was going to make one of these um, based on this reference platform. Um, so 
that's that's pretty interesting. And I would actually, uh, I think I saw somebody on Twitter mention this. So I can't claim the original origin of the idea, but I'd love to see a unit where the headset has the option to be connected up to a PC if you wanted to run those games, essentially, uh, and then had the option to just use the internal hardware with like the Android ecosystem, uh, the Daydream ecosystem. I don't know if you know there's any reason Google wouldn't allow that, but HTC with their, you know, the HTC Vive background, I can see them maybe figuring out a way to do that if the six degrees, the six degrees uh, depth of field uh, type stuff, or six degrees of freedom, sorry, uh, thing is accurate and fast enough to emulate what HTC Vive does with the Lighthouse system, uh, I think would be a pretty compelling product. Because this is still going to be a fairly expensive device. Like It's, it's high-end cell phone hardware, plus a high-resolution screen, uh, all the gyros and all that type of stuff, or euros. It's not made of cardboard. Um, and it's not made of cardboard, yes. Yeah. So in theory, this is, probably, this is probably a $500 or more device. Uh, if you could double, double use it and, say, have a tethered mode, which is a simply essentially like an, uh, a USB cable and an HDMI cable, or maybe we even get lucky and we get like 60 gigahertz wireless or something crazy like that, um, that would be pretty awesome. But... That they didn't announce that. They just announced a reference platform uh, availability by the end of this year, and HTC was their partner. So I think that would be cool. Uh, where are we at now? Let's take a look at... All right, I don't know anything about this. Bad news, Battletech fans. I assume this... Good well, news. I didn't even it's click on news. it yet. I'm assuming this good is a Jeremy news. story. It's a Jeremy oh, story. Good news. Oh, good news. Tell me about it, Jeremy. Yes. So, and I'm a backer of this, like, as of the day that they launched the damn thing, because I've been desperately aching for a Battletech game for a long time and don't want to put out the two million bucks to get a bunch of miniatures. So (laughs) they had a wildly crazy uh, Kickstarter campaign. It went out beautifully. They started having to invent stretch goals because they're like, crap, guys, this is... This is impressive. They just got Paradox to sign on to be the publisher. So God knows how much that costs them. But Paradox Interactive is one of my favorite publishers because, I mean, just two weeks ago, they pushed out yet another giant expansion pack for a four-year-old game. For Europa Universalis 4. It's they're just really good. They constantly push out patches, but they also push out uh, uh, simultaneously. They will do a paid for DLC that vastly expands uh, the, the the entire scope of the game and a free patch for anyone who doesn't want to feel like buying it. That gives you a, a, a less expansive upgrade. They do it for Europa Universalis, uh, Crusader Kings, Stellaris, just about bloody anything that they do. So this could well mean that, We'll see the Battletech launch and see newer stuff coming as the years go over. It's it's kind of exciting. And for those of you in the beta, uh, the or those of you in, that backed it, the beta kicks off at the beginning of June. If you didn't back it, uh, I did link to a place where you can toss some money in because as much as I hate pre-ordering, I don't mind back throwing money at games I want to see happen. And honestly, I've only been burned a couple of times. Uh, it's not been too bad, but that could just be because I play weird games, like, say, turn-based Battletech. 
It's gonna be fun. <laughs> that is okay. weird. Uh, that sounds amazing. What? I mean, it looks really cool. Oh. Well, because it's turn-based, the cover works. Running now gives you an invasive thing. It's much more like the tabletop. Oh, it's messing so, with VR. All right, Alan, you, and yes, there is Alan, death from above about and melee attacks. Okay. All right. Uh, Alan, you want to tell us about 10 terabyte, more 10 terabyte hard drives? Yeah, sure. They got new uh, I mean, we kind of knew it was coming. Because um, there have been... Uh, HDST HE10s, which is just the, you know, Hitachi uh, 10 terabyte helium filled drive for their enterprise drives. And then Western Digital started shipping a 10 terabyte gold, which is basically kind of sort of a pseudo rebrand of the HE10. And it was just a matter of time before we saw, um, you know, 10 terabyte trickle down to the Reds and the Red Pros. And that's what happened. So. There, there were previously uh, helium filled eight terabyte red and red pro, and now there's a ten terabyte red and red pro. Um, MSRPs look a little pricey. It's almost five hundred bucks for the red, five thirty three for the red pro. Mm. Um, that is. But Washington Digital MSRPs usually tend to be kind of high, and then once it ha- actually starts shipping, and you know it's on the market, like there's the market price tends to fall in line with, um, you know, with the cost per gig of the smaller drives. So, because I think the eight terabyte ones are running like three fifty or something or so somewhere around there, um, you know. So I'm I would. Be, ima- I'm gonna be honest. Like, I, the the more I see these giant hard drives, and the more I become dependent on a five hundred gigabyte la- like laptop as my only primary computing device right, that I'm doing work on. Yeah, the idea of needing terabytes and terabytes of storage becomes more difficult for me to, to, to wrap my head around, I guess. I, I, I say that, but like our office has, how big is that array that we built at the office? Uh, it's not, it's not huge. Ter- it's like, it's like 18 terabytes, 16 or 18, something like that. Yeah. Oh, how big yeah. is your I mean, I guess steam cool. cache? <laughs> we were actually trying yeah. to run the steam, uh, like a steam caching server thing on that file server. So we can download our Steam games. It turns games. out it wasn't any faster than just downloading it from Steam it, again. Yeah, it might have actually been a little bit slower. <laughs> really? Yeah. Because yeah. mm-hmm. I, yeah. I, I think the caching software itself was just like sort of a limit. I just think it wasn't mm-hmm. as, you know. I think for most people, downloading the games at 40 megabytes per second would be a drastic increase in speed. Yeah. Uh, for us, it was a... Increase in speed, it cut so. our speed and like unrelated to this hard drive. No yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, <laughs> you know, so, something like this. Even if you're not in need of huge amounts of storage, like to to, to make a huge array of these things, uh, you know, bigger drives like this lets you get just like a two bay NAS or something, and just have a simple mirror. True. Right now, you're not worried about RAID five or any of that other stuff. You just have two drives. If one of them fails, you just put another drive in. You know that sort of thing, and it's not. It makes it a much simpler solution, and you're spending a lot less money on the NAS itself, right? Just for a two bay, uh, you know, you can get a two bay Synology for just like three three hundred bucks or so, maybe even less. Silly to put, you know, eight hundred or almost thousand dollars worth of drives into that, uh, you know, two or three hundred dollar NAS. But hey, you'll have you know ten terabytes of redundant storage sitting right there. Um, which is plenty for most people, right? Like that's that should future proof you for a yeah. while. 
Um, Maybe not Josh. <laughs> well, it, it'll feature-proof you, but not for nearly as long as you think it will. That's true. That's true. You just tend to naturally fill everything, fill all the things. I, I feel I feel like that's the case with, with, like, you know, you buy a new house or you buy a new office. Suddenly you just have more things filling the spaces. It's yeah, odd. yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, what I've found just with uh, the, like, just my own personal life array things is that once you have just a large array that you put together, you start realizing that, oh crap, I have this thing stored on this drive over here and you know, I have stuff stored all over. Hold on a second. Um, yeah, I have stuff. Uh, Alex, switch the camera. Dang it. I'm, I'm a talking over here. Um, you know, you just start finding stuff in your house and you're like, hey, I should just put that on the NAS, right? And you just start dumping. It just basically becomes a dumping ground um, for stuff. And then now, it's, since it's not like the PC that you're using all the time and sitting in front of, it's somewhere on your network, then it's like there's even less incentive for you to go and like try to clear out stuff or make more room or whatever. And it just turns into, oh, NAS is almost full. Let me just add another drive and, you know. I think I'm up to like 14 six terabyte reds in my basement or something crazy like that. I don't know. Yeah. I just keep ta- I just keep throwing another, you know, it's like up. Oh, let me go get on Amazon and get another six terabyte drive again. I'm almost full. I guess being married to a digital archivist and being a storage editor myself is a, you know, well, bad combination. A formula for trouble. <laughs> bad combination. <laughs> Anyway, it's like right. when a sadist meets a masochist. <laughs> it's a uh, match before made you go in... software picks, I will no. mention uh, Nicholas Rupp. Thank you. Edited their pledge from $1 to $3 per month in our Patreon. Let me go in here and make sure we got everybody. Yeah, Nicholas, thank you very much for your update there. Well, greatly appreciated. Now we're going to get to our hardware software picks of the week so we can get this damn show done. Uh, I don't have one except to um, all those TV shows, all the commercials you see for Sprint, Verizon, AT&T, who talk about how great their cell phone networks are. In truth, um, they really mostly suck. And the reason that's the case is uh, like a drive from Orlando to Panama City Beach has a surprisingly high number of dead zones in it. Uh, what's the what it was like Verizon says they cover 99.8% of the country or something like that. I seem to be in that 0.2% more often than most. Um, have, have, I don't know if you guys have the same Wyoming? experience as this. <laughs> no, that's true. Uh, no, that's right. They don't, they don't claim 99.9% of America. They claim 99% of uh, the population, population, I guess. So if yeah. you drive a place where nobody lives, they don't care nearly as much. I've always, I've literally. always thought AT and T seemed to be pretty good about at least having towers along highways. You know, it's it, you, you. Here's how you notice this. Here's here's the best way to notice how deficient cell networks can be. It is you're driving with a kid streaming video. Oh, in the yeah. back. Then you immediately time, know when it's when it's down. Yeah. Yes. Every hiccup, you know. If it's buffering, you know. Uh, and so, give me the indicators. You, know, as soon as you get off seventy-five. What are, what are the yeah. indicators you've experienced recently? Streaming children. Uh, it's like, 
it's like canary in the coal mine type of thing, right? <laughs> when the kids start screaming, it's time to find more data. Uh, <laughs> so it was, it, was, it was an interesting thing. It, it's Studio Alex, you are correct. It is a first world problem. Um, but it is one that's like, we, we, we often talk in these great uh, altruistic, completely wireless societies uh, of things. And there were several places where I looked down at my phone and I was at 1x connectivity. And it's not like I'm driving out through the mountains in Wyoming or something like that. I'm driving through the panhandle of Florida. So, I don't know. That's that's my, uh, I'll use my hardware software pick of the week to complain. So I did that. A Florida man was out there. He stripped the cell tower down and sold it for spare uh, scrap metal. Great. Uh, Josh, I think I know what your pick is. <laughs> you know, if you're going to pre-order something, at least, you know, it's going to be good. And I think this is. Dirt 4 looks sweet. I've been playing Dirt Rally nonstop for years now. And this builds upon it extensively. And I think it's going to be a really good title. It's fifty nine ninety nine, which is not great because, you know, if you'd gotten in first with the uh, Dirt Rally, and I think they offered it for either 33 bucks or that very first weekend for 26 bucks, and you had to kind of suffer through early access, uh, boy, you know, that was the deal of the century. Uh, this one, not so much. It's a fully featured, polished product coming out. Um, they've done extensive testing on it. Uh, you know, it's an extended dirt rally. And so, you know, a lot more content, a lot more stuff to do. Uh, they have the kind of, you know, infinite stages thing where you can create your own. Well, you can kind of create your own stages, but they're, they're, they're generated by the machine. They're near infinite in the amount that you can have. So it's just not the same races over and over and over again. Um, you can do things like, you know, you, you generate a stage, you really liked it, you can save it, and you can share it with your friends. Or at least share it with people who hate you and want to beat you. <laughs> but can you that's drive what you can do. Is, in it? You, you might. Yeah, be Ryan, able to. Likes the, Ryan really likes to drive backwards. Yeah, I'll ask Paul. Maybe he can, uh, you know, write a little patch for you. That, uh, you <laughs> I want the, I want the in there and, I, and, like, maybe even call it the Ryan mode or something yeah. like that, right? Yeah. Make, make it make it a non-default setting, right? Because that would be crazy. That would so, be nice. So anyway. we should just we should just start calling that when you're doing multiplayer and there's that one joker that's driving backwards on the track. It's just call it like being shrouded or something. When that guy hits you, <laughs> oh look, there's you know, there's that guy shrouding again. Damn it. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. All right. I'm okay with that. I'm good with that. Yeah. All right. Uh. All right. Who's up next, Jeremy? What do you got? All right, well, when you get kicked out of Dirt 4 for hacking your car and get called out on cheating, how about hacking the car you actually own? Uh, the two car security experts, Charlie Miller and Chris Velazic, of uh, taking over the Wait, Jeep what, Cherokee. What is that dude going down below? Right. Well, it is called hacking. Suits. Uh, I just, they're both shaved. They're probably wearing Adidas. So you know where that's going to go. So these anyway. are the guys who hacked the uh, Jeep on the highway yep. and got it to slow down and go off. So they've gathered together all of the vulnerabilities they've found, not just for Jeep, but for just about any bloody car out there. 
that has a CAN bus and ridiculously unsecured software on it, which is like all of them. So at least this way you can take a look at it, uh, identify what the vulnerabilities on your car are and decide to play with them or not, if you feel like it, or maybe, you know, start screaming at people to say, you know, maybe not having the feature where they can lock me in the car and cause an accident might be worth investing in research. It's going to be interesting. It's fairly recent that this has come out, so you're going to see a lot of data mining out of it. We may start seeing ratings of most secure car or car least likely to kill you if someone with unsecured Wi-Fi gets at you. So it's going to be interesting to see. Yeah, I mean, yes, that's unfortunate, but true. And as a guy who drives a Tesla, you should be worried. What if they (laughs) encrypt your major functions? You're, if you want to unlock your air conditioning, you need to send five bitcoins to. Yep. For two bitcoins, you can steer left. Bitcoin. Wait, how much For is ten? Five, you can both steer left like and right. Dollars, isn't it? Yeah. I'm just, I'm just how, how much is air conditioning worth to you? <laughs> I'm just waiting for the version of ransomware that, like, you have to pay with Bitcoin, or your Tesla will drive off the road. Like, yes. While you're in the Tesla. Wait, wait. Till Hurry up! You have ten seconds to make this decision. Yeah, it's exactly. Like yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wait, wait till the vendors. Hope you're not in a dead zone, so you can't upload the. Uh, oh money darn! To oh uh, no! no. <laughs> now the kids screaming, and we're in, stuck in an episode of Speed. <laughs> what do you do? <laughs> now, now you know the actual manufacturers. At some point, probably sooner than later, are actually going to have unlockables. Yeah. Well, I mean, they already do. Tesla does this. Tesla has unlockables. You can unlock they a do. bigger battery yeah. for ten thousand. Turbo mode, isn't yeah. it? So. Yeah, they were over provisioning packs in some of the Tesla models. Yeah, that's a thing. So, so it was a software unlock on the same hardware. Yeah, yeah. You got the bigger pack with the car. You just paid ten yep. grand less if you wanted to use all the capacity. You yep. paid the extra ten. Autopilot's yep. the same thing. <laughs> the cars are coming with autopilot hardware. <laughs> you don't have to buy it with autopilot, mm-hmm. but you pay for it. You could pay for it after the fact as an upgrade. So it came with all the hardware. It's just, yep. it's, you're just missing the bits. Right. Actually, you're just missing like one bit. Yep. Just the flag. Literally, literally some flag somewhere in the firmware. It's just like, <laughs> whoop. Okay. So download the research, build yourself a CAN interface, and uh, start unlocking extras on your car. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of, Alan, your pick? Uh, this is not to unlock an extra. This is the lower tech version. Um, That's one of those spinner things, isn't it? No, 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 this is totally not that. Uh, so there's these guys, I've been following this Kickstarter thing for a while. I'm t- I'm tempted to order it myself because I'm actually like, it's not a gimmicky thing, even though it really looks like a gimmicky thing. Uh, but basically, these guys are making nanoparticles that you, it's a very small amount of them. You don't need a lot. You add it in with an oil change. It's supposed to be good for 40,000 miles. Because they are nanoparticles engineered to be metal adherent on one side and super slick on the other. So the idea is these things all float around on your engine, find all of the bare metal surfaces, stick to all of them, and the side that sticks is the only one that can stick. Meanwhile, the other one, the other side, now is exposed outward from the metal surface, is like super, super slippery, right? And especially once these things start bonding to both sides of both metal objects that are sliding against each other now it's super slick surface to super slick surface like so 
if you if you were a car guy like 20 25 30 years ago and you're following like the all the synthetic stuff and oh this comes with ptfe or this comes with you know buckyballs or whatever basically like because they were just you know carbon structures that were shaped like really tiny little ball bearings that you know would cause things to glide over each other this is like the next version of that this is just like you know coat the surface with a super slick compound and you know that their claims are basically they're not claiming like enormous increases in power or anything crazy like that or any magical kind of things but they are talking about like um you know significantly reducing the wear in the engine and you know it does help like fill some of the gaps of things so like you know your compression will go up a little bit and you're you know since you're making everything super slick all the movable surfaces or surfaces that's like uh, sliding against each other, you know, their efficiency claims are six to eight percent. And they're going as far as claiming to set, to know that, like, within 15 minutes of you adding this to an older engine that, you know, had some, you know, older engines just are like a little bit more noisy, they're claiming that you will be able to hear that the engine is quieter after, like, within 15 minutes of adding this to an engine. So. I mean, that's really telling. When it gets to a point where you add a very small amount of liquid to something and it makes that noticeable of a change, that's kind of a big indicator that it's succeeding in doing something, right? Um, I mean, it's only like a couple of ounces of liquid in this little syringe-looking thing, and you're adding it to like, you know, four quarts, five quarts of oil, and if, for it to make any kind of noticeable impact audibly, that's got to be... Doing something successfully. I wonder right. if they're. I wonder if they're claiming that on flat tappet or roller follower. Or, uh, they're not like being really. Uh, they're just you know. Yeah, it's 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 pretty extraordinary claims. Yeah, and it's not super super expensive. I mean, given how much of an amount of liquid you get, it's uh it's kind of pricey. But let's see, what's the the early bird? Where's the early bird that's like still going? I thought there was like a. It's on to the right. Yeah, I know. I'm looking. There's a well. It's, it's rolled off of the thing. Uh, so the 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 if you just want to put it in a car and have it last forty thousand miles, just one car worth right now is like seventy five bucks. That's yeah, bucks retail is, is ninety nine. You know, I mean, an oil change. The the oil you buy for an oil change right now, if you're getting any kind of decent oil, is like twenty thirty bucks. Yeah. Right. So you know, it's a couple oil changes worth of money but it's supposed to be good for 40k because it doesn't because once it's bonded with everything and you do your next oil change it's not like oh the stuff's gone right like i used to use this ptfe based like additive and every time i would do oil changes and i have to spend an extra couple bucks to buy this can of stuff but every time i do my oil change like it's gone it just went away right it went out with the oil so you have to go buy more of the additive this stuff is supposed to just like stick around so like i'm gonna get it all right and then yeah. we'll see. All right, all right. Let's, let's get some. We Maybe we'll S- get some. Alex, we have, we have an SPL meter. I, I have. I well, yeah, we have an SPL meter. I this have is not the car show. Well, you know. <laughs> okay. Talk about this. Oh, I'm just shit picturing him blowing an engine. I can I'm just picturing and... you blowing an engine, and the next thing you know, the International Space Station is radioing. Yeah, we've got what looks like a rod from a late model Mustang entering <laughs> low Earth orbit. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, that's Alex's yeah, Mustang. Yeah, slippery stuff. Uh, it just it just slid right off right. the side of the space station. We don't understand. Like it didn't even leave a dent. Like it was <laughs> must have been coated in something magical. Okay, anyway. guys, that's it. We're done. That's We're the done? end of the podcast. I'm calling it. 
that is episode 450. Uh, uh, find all the show notes, all the links to the stories we talked about at pcper.com slash podcast. It's where you can find um, subscription links, video, uh, Patreon, all the stuff we talked about here today will be there uh, in ways to follow. Make sure you're getting successive episodes of this amazingly fun, informative car show, uh, PC Hardware podcast. So uh, thank you, everybody, for joining us. Even though that picture, if you're watching the video version, is not me currently today. It is me at some point. Uh, and I'm not on that beach, but I will hopefully be at a beach tomorrow, weather permitting. So uh, I will see you next time, guys. I'm Ryan Trout. I'm Jeremy Hellstrom. Hope you get soul signal. I'm Josh Walrath. And I'm Alan Malventano. Good night, everybody. I'm waiting. If you enjoyed this content, consider supporting in-depth technical content by contributing at patreon.com slash pcper.